When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Hey there, it's the Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that's shaped their lives. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me. Coming up a little later on, you'll hear my conversation with artist Babak Ganji about his love for musician David Berman, who was the frontman of the bands Silver Jews and Purple Mountains, as well as artist Mike Kelly. But first... What a fucking week. I've mentioned this a lot on this podcast, but I grew up in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities, and George Floyd's murder and the subsequent national outcry and ongoing protests have really hit me hard, as I think they have everyone in the world, really. I've gone pretty quiet on my social media accounts because who the fuck cares about my entertainment recommendations in the face of all this pain? I know the mentality of white Minnesotans really well. White people in the Twin Cities in particular consider themselves to be progressive. They pride themselves on it. And for so many people in my timeline, the events of the last week have been shocking. They can't comprehend how something so horrific can happen in a place that they know is on the right side of racial and social justice. But there is an enormous disparity between the lived experiences of white and black Minnesotans. Minnesota is one of the most racially inequitable places in this country. The protests that have followed George Floyd's murder fill me with equal parts hope and fear. Hope because an enormous amount of people are taking to the streets to say enough. Enough of the domestic terrorism perpetrated by American police forces against black people for generations. Enough of white people using emergency services as a weapon against black people who annoy them. Enough of turning a blind eye to the pervasive, casual racism that prevents black people from accessing their basic human rights. But these protests scare me because of the number of people being brutalized by police with impunity. They scare me because, if you haven't noticed, we are still in the midst of a global pandemic and the behavior of the police is making it even more difficult for people to demonstrate peacefully without risking infection for themselves and the people they love. So how do I move forward with this podcast when there is chaos and pain swirling in the streets all around me? Well, I believe in the power of art. As I've said from the beginning, art is a mirror and a window. It reflects ourselves back to us, the good parts and the bad, and provides us with opportunities to learn about ourselves, 
to grow and to change. Art also lets us see the lives of people outside of our personal experiences, to see their struggles and their joy, and that's what I want to focus on. I tried last week for an ill-timed push for engagement with you, because I want this show to be a dialogue instead of a monologue, but I don't think this is the right moment to talk about our favorite film scores with no other context. June is Pride Month, and it's also Black Music Month in this country. Those are two really important celebrations for this podcast, and I want to do something to honor both of them, especially in this moment. So for the rest of June, I'm going to highlight a different queer Black artist every day. I'm not going to limit it to just music, but it will be music-heavy because of Black Music Month. And I want you to join me. Post about your favorite queer Black artists on your social media. Tag Spark Parade if you want to let me know about the artists you love. But to be honest, I don't give much of a fuck about that kind of engagement right now. I just want to celebrate the queer Black artists who've made me the person I am, and I'd love if you would do the same. Also, and more importantly, please help to spread useful information and educate yourself about how you can support the fight for Black equity and justice. A good place to start is blacklivesmatters.card.co. That's blacklivesmatters with an S dot C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. I'll post that link in the show notes for this episode, but there's some really useful links and a lot of good information there that will help you to get started. So there you go. If you're protesting, you have my love and solidarity. Please, please do everything you can to stay safe both from the police and from the virus. And now, before we get to my chat with Babak, I should warn you that we talked about artists who've committed suicide. Way to add some sunshine to this dark world, right? Honestly, it's not as heavy as it sounds. Despite the subject matter, it's a really lovely conversation, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So, without further ado, here comes my chat with Babak Ganji about David Berman and Mike Kelly. So I always start these little chats by finding out where your relationship with the stuff we're going to talk about started. So do you remember being turned on to the Um, I think I was a massive Pavement fan. Mm. I I think like nearly everybody who, I mean, at least in the UK, anybody who got into the Silver Jews and that first album without being a Pavement fan, I, I, I don't know if I knew one, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think, so that's how I got in. It was like very much, and, and there's an interesting thing that I realized that first, um, pavement album slanted and enchanted. I only just found out that that phrase slanted and enchanted was a David Berman was from him. Mm. So yeah, it, it came from a love of pavement. And I think it was the second record that was basically when I, when I got stuck, like studying art in the late nineties, I shared a flat with a couple and I was just in a box room, um, with no sort of, I mean, this is like almost pre I think it's pre mobile phone. That really shows age or at least I was really late with mobile phones as well, just to claw back a couple of years. Um, but I think it was that it's that period of time when you're at art school and you just have a room with a bed and a CD player. And like, I just spend money on CDs. And so, it was my main source of escape or entertainment. And I think it was second Silver Jews record when I was sitting there that, that really got me. But I think yeah. I was a, my relationship with music in general sort of really developed in that sort of one year. 
going to say mm. this is like 1997 or 8. Right. Yeah, I, I, talk, I talk about this a lot, like the kind of divide, the analog and uh, digital divide with music, like having the experience of really going to record stores and digging through like trying to find music that way or having music come to you as recommendations from people or like a kind of family tree thing where members of a band that you like are in other bands and you find out that way that things happening a bit more organically whereas now those things happen most of the time through algorithms people getting recommendations delivered to them rather than having to kind of do a little Research I, mean, I do find the algorithm thing a bit strange, but at the same time, mm. I'm starting to get more and more into the thinking that we should almost be governed by an algorithm. It's like, <laughs> it's like if we're going to be, if, if they're going to tell me what I like every other way, I'm sure the algorithm can tell us what the right thing to do is, as opposed to the people leading at the moment. I, I mean, I, I still. I think when you've been brought up in that sort of more analog time, it's like I still go to the record shop and get the guy in the record shop to recommend me stuff and i still mm. I feel like buying a record without i mean they say do you want to hear it and i'm like no it's all right i still enjoy like that's what we used to do we used to take a punt on a record because those options it's weird because it's like to think but like in those times you could also still buy a cd and if you didn't like it return it mm -hmm. that, that doesn't i mean dude i mean i guess some people wouldn't know what a cd is right yeah yeah Oh God, that makes me feel very old. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could have said, I could have, because um, pavement were like, to be honest, like as a music thing, it was always sort of Nirvana, which started it. Mm. It's weird picking David Berman. I picked David Berman for this because when he came back with the Purple Mountains record, like 10 years after the last Silver Jews record, I hadn't really noticed him be away because I've always had these records. I'd always go back to these records anyway. Um, mm -hmm. and I was so excited that he was back and this record was amazing to me. And like, I, I, I do a sort of monthly show on radio here and we, we did a Silver Juice special before he died because we were so excited that, that David Berman was back. And then like a month later, he'd sort of like, he was gone. And, um, mm. I think it's like, but it was like realizing him, it was the bit where he came back and realizing that how how much the artist meant to you then it's like the the, the death thing obviously like really hit me um mm -hmm. but at the same time it wouldn't have all i don't know exactly what i'm trying to say it's like it's almost like i don't like reward i don't want to call it a reward but like i do get angry with all the it scares me when hang on i was about to spiral into some sort of horrible suicide um weird monologue that it's too soon yeah I, I mean also like i think that comparison to nirvana um i remember a pretty similar thing happening for me when kurt cobain died that that was right during the um you know uh their last album had just come out um oh. that they, they were still releasing singles and it was that same feeling i mean he they hadn't been away for as long but they'd just come back they'd released this album that everybody was really excited about and it felt like everything's very fresh and new and vital and like this person is back in my life and they're making this music that i love and it feels like the beginning of something and then to have you know their life end so uh, shockingly and horribly 
when you're just kind of feeling like I'm, you know, getting back into connecting with this person. It's, it's, you know, it's horrible when anybody dies, but, um, that, that particular thing, when some, someone kills themselves and, uh, especially when it's someone who you have this close relationship with, who's had issues with alcohol and drug dependency, with uh, me- mental health issues, has tried to kill themselves before. And so there's all of these things kind of swirling around where it's like you're rooting for this person. You want them to overcome all of the problems in their life and you know you want them to keep, <laughs> selfishly keep making music that you love and to have this really horrible shocking event happen that kind of puts uh puts an end to all of that is uh it's really devastating it's it's just the sort of um it's just the suddenness of it all and that's it it's done um yeah i mean kurt cobain was like almost like my uh, because we i'd moved from my parents had moved from london to bournemouth and had suddenly become like the only brown person in the town and it was a massive culture shift and um Nirvana became, I mean, Kurt Cobain sort of became my best friend at secondary school. And I had tickets to see Nirvana, like in Brixton in London for that. Um, I think it was a month after he killed himself. And it, that was very, uh, that was very hard to deal with at the time. And, but it was like, but Nirvana introduced me to all of this stuff and like music as a way out. And there are people out there that will see things the way you see things the whole sort of anti-corporate i mean now as i've grown up i've realized that i mean kirk cobain how old was he 27 he's part of that and it's like now i'm 41 and i realize i'm still following this ethos that was given to me essentially by a 21 year old when Mm -hmm. my mind was written and i'm still following something and i think no you don't have don't have to constantly consider if i'm selling out so got what Mm. you want Still yeah, doing. Yeah. And so sometimes, like even when I went with David Berman, it's, in a way I should be saying, well, it's Stephen Maltmus because he's like, he's still, he's still here and he's still working and pavement meant a lot to me. And it actually does mean a lot to me when those guys are, you know, it, maybe it's not as romantic a story, but they're still there, still making records. But yeah. there was something in, there was basically like, I, I use a lot of comedy, I think, in my work, but I don't make money as a comedian. I always thought like the comedy is almost like a coping mechanism. It's a byproduct of, and it's like, that's, I think what I got from even at an early age, it was like in those early records, it was like the lyrics were always so, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're sad, but they're funny. Mm-hmm. And it's that, that, that sort of comedy as coping mechanism has always sort of appealed to me. Yeah. And very, like the, uh, very pointed observations about, uh, the world around him, uh, mixed in with these, you know, really this heavy shit about his life and, um, the difficulties that he has kind of coping with, uh, with the world and keeping himself alive. Um, but also, you know, just this, you know, the, that the first time that he tried to kill himself when he, uh, checked into the hotel where Al Gore had stayed and said that he wanted to die in the suite where the presidency had died or something like that. This yeah. like grand thing that it's like, it's really sad and really awful, but also funny at the same time. And he, 
yeah, I, I, I definitely get that from, from all of his music, the, that there's this kind of walking a fine line between joy and despair. Yeah, and I think that's what really appealed, like even, because like, to be honest, in the, in the, when I was like late teens and I, I mean, I, these records at the time for me were, they were bought in loyalty of this, like, I guess it's Drag City, but in London, in the UK, it was Domino Records. I'd, I'd sort of religiously buy most of the things that they put out. So if I liked it or not, I would probably have owned these records. It's mm. it's over the years that they sort of, you know, stayed with. And mm. I think a lot of that's in the strength of the writing. And I was always sort of very envious because I think I don't, I, something I lack is any sort of gravitas in a, in a voice. It's like he always had that world weary, there's some sort of, it sounds like there's knowledge there. Mm. And, and I was always quite envious of people who had that sort of, you know, I, I feel like when I talk, it's, it's clear that I'm I'm going all over the place. <laughs> I, I I mean, if I'm taking this conversation as a, um, an example, I, I don't feel that that's true. If that's any, we'll go by that. For, for now. we'll see how <laughs> we'll see how it progresses. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I and and I was like, I think, see, I I've forgotten. Like, I have to say. All, all years I realized between 2002 to about 2015 are just one big, like I can't differentiate. I don't know if you have this. I can't define any of those years anymore. Uh, yeah, same. Absolutely. I don't know. Why is that? I don't know. Like the, the, uh, we're, uh, we're about the same age. I'm, I'm, I'm 42. And to me, the 90s, I can pick out individual years and have really clear memories of exactly what I was doing. Yeah. And from around uh, something like 2001, 2002, everything just starts blurring into one big like blob of years. But I feel bad though, because I feel like I'm, I've basically lost nearly 20 years of my life in a way because I can't, it's all just become like one long sort of day and mm. um why is why is that though is it because we were at school <laughs> and you can like like even cause culturally even like with films and records i can remember like the years that certain records came, I, I can remember that year for music whereas from after the strokes album i think it's i mean i remember it like it's not like i, I don't want to make out that like i've gone I've, I've forgotten everything. I just don't remember anything could have come out in or out at any point for a 15 year period until 2016. And that's only because that became the year where everybody seemed to die. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And, and also we um, had Brexit here and it was just like that one. I remember for just being the year that everything sort of flipped. And I guess you had Trump was, that mm -hmm. was a, that was a bad year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like some point in, I don't know, in, I'd say like 2009 or 10, like I, I was in a band that actually supported the Silver Jews. And, mm. and it was like the, on so many levels, like the most exciting thing I was doing as an experience at the time, it was all just very odd and it didn't, didn't sort of meet David Berman or anything, sort of tried to stay out the way. There was a sort of strange vibe. They didn't really play shows ever. So it was that, I think that's what, I think it was their first sort of London show. 
And so, like, mm. first on was just like I couldn't believe that we'd we'd managed to get that. And this, like, this is like you know, in the grand scheme of things, they sort of you know, sort of, I don't know, seven thirty start. No one's really going to be there to see you, but you get to you get to be on the poster, and mm-hmm. it was a strange experience. But it was one that I I got to say I did, and I think the the main support band had uh, was like the drummer from Pavements drinking song band um mm. to be honest i was just as excited to be on the same bill as steve west from pavement i was quite a dork for those guys um but <laughs> but it was it was it was quite a strange experience but but you know got to stand in a sort of alleyway with david berman in the distance standing next to our amps waiting for lifts to wherever we were going afterwards the, what venue was it it was say? the I don't know if you ever, if you, you say you were in London, that there was a venue called the Astoria. Yeah. Which, which, and so like for a while there was like this basement venue that was called, well, the LA2, um, which yeah. was a couple of, it was like under a shop, a couple of buildings over on, oh, i forgotten what the name is. It's not Charing Cross. It's, I've forgotten the name of the street. It's where St. Martin's used to be as well, which is where I studied. So it was like literally like, two doors from my university. Mm. Yeah. But like they say, it's like I was very wary to ever be like, you know, you don't want to do that. Meet your, you don't want to meet your heroes. Really. I had nothing to say. They weren't really, we, we, there was like one dressing room and you didn't want to, um, they, they were never in it. And, and it felt like you didn't want to hang around there too long. Cause it was really their space. So it was yeah. always, always just trying to make yourselves, um, just play the show, enjoy the show. Um, and don't make a fool of yourself. Yeah, yeah. But still, like that, uh, having had that experience, and like e- even if you don't end up with some huge personal relationship with these musicians who you really love, sharing space with them and sharing a stage with them is uh, pretty remarkable. Oh yeah, no, it's it's nice, and it kind of gives you a little. It kind of makes the world feel a bit smaller, even like. Without, without also wanting to bring it back to suicide all the time, but another artist I really like, Mike Kelly, sort of um, took his life at 60, and I think mean, mm-hmm. David was 52. And I think these things really scare me when I feel like, oh, once you get to a certain point, it's like, oh, hopefully you're, you're over this, right? It's like you've, you've, you've worked through it, the angst, and the, it's always a bit of a shock. Because again, I think that maybe that's something I place on just age. It's like it's the same thing that made me think that I don't know how I was supposed to like own a house, but you just presume when you're when you're in your youth, you just presume at some point when you're a grown up, you just have a house. It turns out that's not true. Yeah. They don't just give you one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, uh, um, it you know there are many many people who it just never happens to. They you know. Yeah, I mean, you. Like, I can't ride a bike. It turns out if you if you want to um, avoid something, it, it doesn't just happen. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Like t- talking about Mike Kelly, that that's another. Uh, he's another person who, you know, treading that borderline between uh, joy and despair. There was so much humor in his work, and his his work was so varied as well. He you know worked with all different kind of media and. Um, there was a huge retrospective here uh, four or five years ago 
at um, PS1, which is a kind of uh, an offshoot of, of MoMA in Queens. I, and I, I live just down the road from there. And it was amazing. I just, I spent hours and hours and hours. I went back a bunch of times. Um, and it, it, it is again, that feeling that's like somebody who creates this work that inspires me so much, brings me so much happiness and it feels so vibrant and so alive. And then, you know, having that on one hand and on the other hand, this person who is really struggling and, um, eventually it, it, the, the stuff that they were struggling with just got to be too much for them. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it it really affects me. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, as you were speaking, I realized that one of the things I was toying with when picking this again was I didn't want to necessarily, one of the things that ruins the work for me is when, when, when their lives, they have taken their lives is that it makes me think, Oh, so the work didn't, the work didn't work. It's like for them, it wasn't enough. It's, um, and that, that kind of sort of jars it a bit. I mean, I picked David Berman because for, for the, for the last 20 years, he's always in the background, you know, been been where I've gone to, but it does sort of like, like I haven't listened to the purple mountains album since, since his, um, I couldn't do it until yesterday, which was my one yeah. research was to, to try and listen to that record again, because it's the same thing with like, I think maybe Kurt Cobain in my teens, like after, after the news, I think it was a couple of months before I could actually listen to a Nirvana album again. Yeah. I, I get that way about artists when they die, regardless of how they died. Um, you know, it's the same. It was for, for a long time. It was really hard for me to listen to David Bowie's music and Prince's music and Amy Winehouse and people like that, where it's just like the sadness of losing the person. Um, but it is, it, it does com- uh, complicate it when somebody kills themselves and all of their work is so deeply personal and autobiographical and they're talking about the things that they were struggling with. I think that's the um, thing with um, Kurt Cobain and David Berman is that it's all, it was all like there. It was all mm-hmm. given to you the whole time. It was like, and you were, were sort of actively consuming this, presuming that it was, and it was like speaking to me, but I didn't think it would really happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because like up to that point, they're sort of like, you're a, you know, they're taking you on this, you know, you understand each other. And then it's like, no, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it I mean, it, it's also, you know, with, with artists that you love, you're rooting for them. You, you want them to be okay. And, um, it, the hope is that they're working through this shit and then they get to the other side of it. And, um, it's like you said with Mike Kelly, that, thinking that you know he he was uh you know nearly 60 years old when he died and he you it to to my mind it's like oh you know he he isn't 27 he's somebody who is you know he's he's pushed through and he's gotten to the other side of this and he's going to be okay and it's the same kind of thing with david berman he was you know in his early 50s but um there's something in my mind that says you know once you get past a certain point that 
everything's going to be okay. And that's not how depression works. That's not how, um, you know, all, all mental illness works and, uh, drug and alcohol dependency, all of those things are so much more complicated than that. Um, but when you're dealing with people you love, whether it's people who are actually in your life or just artists who you admire, you want it to be, uh, as simple as that, that it's like the, the art will be enough to kind of get them through. Um, and it'll inspire them in the same way that it's inspired you. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess as a working artist, I want to believe that that's, going to be the case that the the work is going to be enough but i'm also aware that it's, it's sometimes the work's just a sort of well it's just it's kind of like doing an equation isn't it? it's just working things out as you go and you just hope that they're going to get to a i think with mike kelly it was just a, like i was just quite envious of that sort of career because it was like that's what i want i think that's what i want to be when i was when i was at saint martin's was that that kind of artist that was sort of working with the music uh, and it was like on a sort of conceptual and critical level quite profound and like at the moment i don't know if you've read this and sort of like since lockdown i've been um, me and three friends have been decided that if we ever, are ever going to be able to pull this off it's now and we've been trying to struggle through an infinite chest mm. have you read that book i have tried okay how far did you get uh, I'm going to say a quarter of the way through. Okay. I mean, that's not bad. I mean, the first time, like 12 years ago when I bought the book, I, I think I got to page 17 and I had to, <laughs> I had no idea what was happening in those 17 pages. Mm -hmm. And I think we're currently, I'm, 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 I've fallen behind it. Like I'm sort of like 370 pages. I think I'm a third of the way in. I still haven't got a clue. But again, it was like some sort of mammoth undertaking. I mean, just to write it, I mean, I imagine it was, I don't know. But again, like it's another, suddenly thought, oh no, but it was another one of these guys. And it's like, clearly the book wasn't enough. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other podcast where I have to just ask people, what the hell is Infinite Jest? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah, whereas I, my kind of uh, lockdown ambitions are, you know, uh, getting through some TV, maybe. Um, I've I actually, I've, I've just started really getting back into reading again. I was finding it really hard to concentrate um, on uh, on reading, but now I've I've kind of forced myself to start reading books again, and I'm um, I feel better for it. I don't know if I could get to a point where I'm going to uh, tackle Infinite Jest again, but we'll see. Anything can happen. This is a real battle, and I, I'm almost curious to get to the end just to find out. For the people who – I don't want to say I dislike it. I've, I've enjoyed bits of it, but it's almost like it feels like a book where the guy is sort of toying with you and deliberately making things difficult, and ultimately it's like a – it's like a farcical romp and it can be quite funny when you realize that that's what it is, but it requires dictionaries and I don't know. It's, it, I, I, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, again, also because my attention span has become absolutely awful. Um, but I got the impression that if I could get through this book than any other book and I have hundreds, like I love buying books, reading them, it's like mm. I have this idea that there's this amazing 
period of time, which I guess this technically should be where like, I can't really go out and I just read all these books. And now that I'm locked in this book group, I have only this one that I have to get through first. And I don't think I'm going to make it to any others, but if I ever do, they should be really easy to read once, once this is done. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the next one can be Dan Brown, something, uh, I don't think it, you know, that's what it is. It's just, it'll be a sentence with some words in the right order. I'd understand it and move on. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, uh, good, good well, luck. With that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But again, I've got <laughs> on a tangent. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no. This is all, all very welcome. Um, I feel like we've, uh, we've had a, uh, a good chat that feels like, a a solid ending point. Um, do you feel satisfied? Yeah. It's like, I will, I will, if it, if it wasn't too depressing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think this was like, uh, a way to talk about depressing stuff that feels like, uh, you know, we're still managing to focus on why uh, why we love the work and the people who created it, even if their lives ended tragically. So um, I feel like we've we've done a good job of honoring those. Artists. I could. I mean, it's unfortunate that so many of the people. It's like why why are we drawn to these? Why are we drawn to that sort of? Or why is the I don't see this is a bad ending now you've let me carry on but <laughs> no but I, I mean I think it's it doesn't uh, matter the medium there's this sort of character type just conducive to like really good work and I seem to be drawn to it a lot but there is also people out there like before when I was sort of emailing you about like you know I could do this on Steve Martin who's still alive and I think he might be a bit depressed as well but he's still alive and um yeah his work I've always loved and and is also on the comedy level one of my heroes and, and and there are i have to remember that you know maybe it's not as romantic in a way because because they they're still here but that's that seems like a sad way to judge it yeah but i mean you know we we also kind of went down a uh artists who've committed suicide rabbit hole so i think uh when you've got that idea on your brain you start thinking of all of the artists who you've loved who've died tragically but I'm sure you can think of just as many, if not more, artists who, you know, lived full, happy lives and uh, didn't have any of these uh, these problems in their life. Well, maybe so, this I'll um, send you a list of both. Yes, yeah, and I'll read. Th- I'll read that out at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, Great. Uh, so if people listening to this want to keep up with what you've got going on, um, what's the best way to do that? So is social media the best way? Yeah, I think like basically I've become, it's, it's predominantly Instagram. I seem to have managed to find a way of using Instagram as like an online gallery and some hmm. weird, it's almost like a free TV channel. Um, yeah. It's all in pictures though. I, I'm not very good at the instagram tv stuff but you know if i'm doing anything i will definitely bang on about it on instagram so it's just my name at instagram most most things funnel in through there 
it's funny. It's like there used to be a time when like Facebook and things where you used to log in and log out so no one could see you were on it all day and it felt embarrassing. Yeah. I think we've given up those. That's over now, right? We're, we're permanently logged in. Yeah, yeah. Plug, plugged into the matrix forever. I think um, it's pretty depressing. <sighs> Another depressing note to touch on before we go. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. This was uh, absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate you making. Was time it me. though, or was it? I, I wasn't intending. It was. Pressing. <laughs> no, this was this was great. Like uh, this is really. I, I like when chats kind of d- dig into peripheral issues around the art as well. And I think we've we've talked about yeah. it. a lot of other stuff outside of just you know picking through albums and talking about our favorite tracks. So um, yeah, this is the good stuff. This is what I want. But um, yeah. Uh, again thank you very much and uh, I really appreciate it and there you have it I really love that conversation thanks again to Babak please check out his work it's really incredible and really funny so for recommendations this week I want to draw your attention to two things firstly Insecure the HBO show created by Issa Rae um, aired an episode this Sunday that was written by Natasha Rothwell, who plays Kelly on the show. She's an incredible person and a really talented writer and performer, so you should check out all of her work. But this particular episode of Insecure just featured two characters. No spoilers here, but it's a romantic episode. And Natasha Rothwell tweeted about it on Sunday when the episode aired, and I just want to read her tweets. It feels low-key tone-deaf to promote Insecure tonight when the country is on fire, but our show works hard to promote the humanity of black people, something that is consistently under attack in this country. Feeling seen, understood, and celebrated is medicinal. So tonight, if you find yourself needing a break from this nightmare, if you need to be reminded of your humanity, resilience, beauty, and strength, or if you just need to fucking laugh, we're here for you. So check out that episode of Insecure if you watch the show and you haven't seen it already. And then also, I talked a bit about Amazon's uh, show Homecoming last week, but I think it's worth mentioning again as a way to kick off the Spark Parade celebration of Black queer artists. Janelle Monet is in the leading role in the second series after Julia Roberts left, and it is remarkable to me that a Black queer woman is leading this prestige Amazon drama playing a Black queer woman. I'll post a little more about that on social media at Spark Parade if you want to dig in a little deeper with me. Also, a reminder to share your appreciation of the Black queer artists you love this month. And that's it. Support each other. Invest in anti-racist organizations. Work to be anti-racist in your own life. And most importantly, stay safe this week. Until next time. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.